This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to do something that I, I don't think I've ever done uh, in the nine and a half years of Impact Church. I want to share with you exactly what God... Oh, I'm not going to make it. I want to share with you what happened in my life 21 years ago when for the first time in my life I experienced revival. And what God did in me. And the five stages that he took me on. So I'm just going to share it from my heart this morning. I don't have anything great prepared. I don't have this you know, amazing three-point message or anything like that. I'm just going to share my heart if that's okay. So just picture this morning like you're sitting on, in our living room, you're sitting on our big comfy couch, and we're just chatting. And you guys get to hear my story this morning. Maybe some of you have heard bits and pieces of it, but I know many of you haven't. And I want to just share that this morning. I want to start this morning by reading a passage in a, one of the minor prophets. The book's called Hosea, and it's an incredibly obscure passage. Um, it's an obscure book. It's actually a strange book. Some of the things that go on in that book, I'm still trying to get my, my head wrapped around. I'm good, thank you. Um, although I may need it by the end. Um, interestingly enough, when you look up uh, kind of the, the Bible commentaries uh, theme or thoughts on the book of Hosea, they actually describe Hosea as the book of persevering love. I am so thankful That God didn't give up on me in December of 96. Because I'm telling you, if you looked at me in December of 96, you would have seen a person that was not worth the time or energy investing in. I was angry. I was bitter. I was depressed. For the first time in my life, for the three or four months prior to that day, I was having suicidal thoughts suicidal dreams and suicidal tendencies. I'm so thankful that I never went through on it. But I have, to, I, have, I have to get you to understand something this morning. Sometimes at our very worst is when God does His best work. Hosea is a story of persevering love for a reason. Because the entire story of Hosea is God asking the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. And Hosea's response was, well, she's just going to be unfaithful to me probably my whole life. Yep. But you want me to stay with her? Yep. Why? Because I want you to show on earth the tangible, persevering love of the Heavenly Father for His people. That he would never give up on them no matter how they turn their back on him. No matter what they do and no matter what they say, he's never going to turn their back. By every definition of the word in December of 1996, I was worthless. But God saw something that I didn't see. I want you to know this morning 
that it doesn't matter where you were yesterday, it doesn't matter what you've gone through in this last year, it doesn't matter the season you're coming out of, when you make a decision to say yes to Jesus, your life can be transformed in an instant. You have to believe that this morning. You don't believe me, ask my mom. 3rd week of January 1997, my mom dragged me to a prayer meeting that I never wanted to go to. About 100 people from the church in that room that night in the sanctuary. It was a big sanctuary. It was about 750 uh, seat sanctuary. And I made a decision to do what all people that don't want to deal with Jesus do. They sit at the back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> come on, let's just give away our secrets. Let's stay as far back as we can so he doesn't come back here. You know what? I Maybe I'll just come back there. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. There's like an anointing that just gets strong and then gets weaker as it goes to aisle to aisle. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, people. It's all good. It's all good. But I sat at the back, sat in the last row, middle left section. I sat there. And I sat there. And I kept sitting there. And I was looking around. And I was seeing things that were happening to people that I had grown up with. And I saw things happening to them that I know were not them. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm observing this whole thing going on. And I went through this process in literally like, it felt like seconds, but it was probably like an hour, but it literally felt like seconds. I went through this process where I went from furious to a fan to a follower. I came in furious. I didn't want to be there. And interestingly enough, there was a verse of scripture that was shared that first night. I wrote it down. I found it in my journal books this past week because I was, I was thinking to myself, I know that was the verse. Looked up my journal books from January of 1997, and this was the verse that the pastor read 21 years ago and wrecked me. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to start by reading the Amplified, and then I'm going to read the New King James. It says this, So with a view to righteousness... That righteousness like seed may germinate. Reap in accordance with mercy and loving kindness. Break up your uncultivated ground for it is time to seek and search diligently for the Lord and to long for His blessing until He comes to reign righteousness and His gift of salvation on you. The New King James Version says, Sow for yourselves righteousness Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and range righteousness on you. I remember hearing that verse, and the first thought, there's two thoughts that hit me. Number one, I didn't understand what fallow ground was, so that kind of confused me. Number two, I kept hearing this whole concept of seek and search diligently. How many have ever had God come to you when you're in the midst of struggles and, and hard times, and he speaks a word to you that is absolutely contrary in your mind to the Father heart of God. All right, okay. I'm the only one. Me and Glenn are the only two in this entire place. That's awesome. So I was crying out in that moment, just before that verse was read, I was crying out, Lord God, 
I don't know why my life is awful, and my life's awful, and my life's awful, my life's awful, my life's awful. It's not a prayer that I don't think he's too attracted to, personally. But in that moment, that's all I had in me. And I cried out, and I cried out. And I felt a response that was so clear. How do I know it was clear? Because I was angry right away. (laughs) Here was the word. Repent for being selfish. I was like, what? I'm hurting. I am struggling. I've got a whole long list of issues I could bring up to you, Lord. And he says, repent for being selfish. I don't know about you, that was not the word I was looking for. But I want you to know this morning, in every aspect of revival, there's a moment where God shines the mirror of his word right in front of you, and you've got to look at it. And sometimes we don't like to look at it, we like to look around it. But at every moment of revival, we have to look at it and go, oh, that's who I am. Oh, that's not good. Lord, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deal with that. I want you to catch something here. This is really cool with this verse. Fallow ground, for those that are, don't know farming or don't know uh, that kind of stuff, fallow ground is literally ground that was once plowed, once cultivated many years ago, that has now become um, literally hard, clay-like. It's absolutely unusable to plant seed because it's been neglected, it's been left dormant, it's been literally ignored. It's been untouched. But at one point in its existence, it was fertile. It was loose. It was easy to work with. It was great uh, great soil for seed. Interestingly enough, with fallow ground, it also often produces weeds and thorns and a whole bunch of other things. That's fallow ground. He says, break up your fallow ground. What does the ground represent? It represents our hearts. I knew that in that moment, I had to deal with some things in my heart. I knew that if there was an open heaven that was in that room that I was walking into, I couldn't experience the open heaven unless I made a choice to open my heart to receive it and to open my mind to receive it. The problem was is there were things in the way. I didn't see them, but in that moment I did. In that moment, I heard that verse, and I went, okay, Lord, I see it. I see it. And then I prayed the craziest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Are you ready for this one? God, if you're real, show me. He did. And three hours later, three men had to pick me up and carry me home and carry me out to my vehicle because I could not move. I was on the floor crying like a baby in a fetal position. I didn't realize this, but at one point, Ella Shiplett, our our senior pastor's wife, had literally held me in her arms and I was like a baby crying out to daddy. I was like, daddy, where are you? Because for the first time in my life, I understood the Father heart of God for me. I never understood it before. I grew up in church. I heard all about the, the rules and the regulations and the, all these things. And I want to say, I think they're good because they point us to the truth. That's not bad. But it can't be our motivation. We can't be motivated just to follow rules. We're motivated out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I love Him, I do the right thing. Amen? Because I love Him, I want to live righteously. Because I love him, I don't want to do what everyone else around me does. It just doesn't pay off. 
But in that moment, I had an experience with God. And I started to literally make the decision to break up my fallow ground. I want you to catch something in this verse. It doesn't say God is going to break it up for you. It doesn't say that some pastor can come and lay his hands on you and pray for you. And then suddenly, boom, everything's perfect. I wish that was true. But God says, break up your fallow ground. Break up those things that will hinder the rain that is coming, the rain of his righteousness that is coming. If you don't have a broken up ground and a ground that's plowed and is fertile, guess what happens? When the rain comes on clay, it just runs right off. The rain cannot seep in. It cannot get to anything underneath. It can't germinate any seeds because it just runs right off. And for my entire life up to that point, the rain of God was around me, but it just kept running right off. It just kept running right off. Just kept running right off every single step of my life. But I made a decision that night. I'm going to break up my fallow ground. I'm going to deal with the issues of my heart. I'm going to deal with the issues of, of wrong mindsets and the way that, that I believe God viewed me. And in that moment, I saw God looking at me in a way that I'd never seen him looking at me way, uh, before. It was awesome. But you have to understand, we have to break it up. There's no seed that can germinate in your life with ground and a heart and a mind that is hard. It can't happen. And I've seen people come to church for years and sit there and go, well, I see other people kind of getting in the river, but I don't feel nothing. And can I give you uh, just a little Cameron moment for a second? Because I had to learn this the hard way. Cameron, 21 years ago, couldn't have felt the river until Cameron dealt with his heart. The moment he dealt with his heart, then the river overtook me, and I was a mess, and it's still going strong. It hasn't stopped. 21 years and counting, and it gets better every day. But I can tell you right now, I know what my life was like before that, and I know what my life was like after it. I want to do something very simple this morning. I want to share with you five stages that God took me on 21 years ago, that entire year, that was so significant, that was so real, that I remember it like it was yesterday. So I'm going to share with you this morning those five thoughts. Is that all right? Okay. So the first thing is this. I had to go from a fan to a follower. Somebody say amen. A fan is somebody that likes to spectate. A fan is somebody that likes to sit back. A fan is somebody that likes to cheer somebody else on, but doesn't want to get in the game themselves. I don't know about you, there's a moment that comes where you go from a spectator to a participator to an initiator, from a fan to a follower. At some moment, a follower had to overtake me. What is a follower? To be like their master? One version in the Bible commentary says to be a carbon copy, that when you write on top and you flip the page back, I know this is... Kind of uh, old school for some, but when you flip the page back, whoa, there, it's on the next page. You flip the next one, hey, it's still there on the next page. It's a carbon copy. It just keeps going, especially if you press hard enough. And if you don't press hard enough, you only get two pages in. You remember that one? Oh, it was crazy. But I want you to see that there was, there was a couple of steps that I went through that were so obvious to me in that first couple of days. Number one, I started as an admirer. Then I, met, I moved to an inquirer. What was I inquiring about? The more? I was inquiring about the more of God, the, the presence of God, the things of the Holy Spirit. I was inquiring not about how to, you know, impress the pastor. I was inquiring about what is this thing I'm feeling, and I know there's more. So I want it, because I know what my life was like before, and I know what my life is feeling like right now. But then I had to go from an admirer to an inquirer to a responder. How many know at everyone's life you have to respond? There comes a moment where you've got to respond. 
And then once you respond, you can move to a follower. And then the whole key of God is that you become a reproducer of revival in your life. Some of you may be looking at that list and going, well, I kind of think I'm at step two or I'm at step three, I'm at step four. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. You don't even have to go to step five in one moment. Just go to the next one. So if you're admiring Jesus right now, inquire about him. If you're already inquiring, then go to the next step. Be a responder. If you've already responded, be a follower. Don't be a fan, be a follower. If you're already doing that, man, be a reproducer. What's it all about? It's about pursuit. I realized in that moment that I could not just sit still and have everything fall on me. In the charismatic world, we think we can just go all of these conferences and all of these meetings and we just experience all of God and then we go home and, and we think that that's okay. And I go, no, I'm not satisfied with a meeting. I'm not satisfied with a song. I'm not satisfied with a prayer. I'm not satisfied with hearing a message about something awesome. I, I want to reproduce the work of God in and through my life to every person I touch. And that's what matters to me. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I don't know about you, but there was this one moment that was very distinct in that first year when God was touching my life. I was hearing stories of testimonies of, of somebody else's walk with God, and it bothered me. Not because I was jealous. As a matter of fact, I didn't have any of that in my heart. But it bothered me because I wasn't seeing it happen in my life to the degree that it happened in someone else's life. And then I spent the entire year reading the book of Acts, back to front, back to front, back to front, probably nine or ten times that year. And then the more I read the book of Acts, I was going, like, come on, like, just get with it. What are you doing? And then you start off, like, having all these feelings, like, what am I doing with my life? And I realized a follower does stuff. A fan sits down and watches. But a follower is active. And I wanted to be active. Here's the st second stage of this journey for me in 1997 that absolutely revolutionized my life and kept revival going. It just kept the fires of revival going. I went from milk to meat. Stage two, Hebrews 5, 11, 14, it says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. That was my life right up to December of 2000, or 1996. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, who by constant use, who by constant use. Sometimes I've had people come to me and you see different people in different fields. Maybe they're a teacher, maybe they're a medical field, maybe it's governmental, and you see some people that just seem so natural. And sometimes we mistake that for this incredible skill and talent. And I do believe a lot of people are skilled and talented. But you know what happens? They have disciplined themselves by constant use. So that doesn't matter what's going on in their life, because they've disciplined themselves with constant use, they get better and better and better and better and better. Our interns right now are being stretched royally by my wife to get out on the streets and to get into their lives and to share the gospel. She's doing an evangelism course with them right now, and I think it's wrecking them all, and it's awesome. But what's, what's going on? They're being stretched to realize, I just can't sit back anymore. I just can't let someone else do it. It's the mandate on the church to extend the kingdom, so I'm going to do that. Amen? Here's what I've realized with this whole concept of milk to meat. Almost instantaneously, I started to realize I had two choices. I can live in the revelation of God that someone else shares with me, 
or I can get it myself. And you know what I realized in my life in that first year? Any revelation that I had secondhand from someone else never made it through the tests of my life. But the things that God spoke directly to me through his word, I overcame every circumstance because it was in me. I fell in love with the word of God. I memorized the word of God. I had multiple scriptures for every issue that I was ever going through. I looked at it this week. I've got journal book after journal book after journal book of literally a topic and then 40 scriptures on how to overcome that issue. And I would memorize it, and I would read it, and I would get into it. And you know what happened? It wasn't right away that I felt this significant difference, but a year later, I looked back and I went, I don't even feel like I struggle with any of that anymore. And the reality was is the circumstances didn't just disappear. They were equally as much as they were a year before. But none of it bothered me because I had God's perspective. I didn't have my perspective anymore. I had God's perspective. And you know what happened? The Word of God became second nature to me. I literally treat the Word of God like food. If I don't get it, I'm done. I'm done. If I, how many have ever known anyone in their life that gets really hangry when they haven't eaten? Come on now. All right, so we got honest people, okay? You know, honest people here. The rest of you will have an altar call for you after. Okay. <laughs> but think about this. Do you want to know why you get spiritually hangry? Because you haven't inputted anything. The most frustrated, negative people in the world, if you actually look at their life, the word is not getting in them. So they get hangrier and hangrier as life goes on. How do I know? December 96, I was the most spiritually hangry person, well, at least in Oshawa, probably Canada, and most likely I could have run for a world championship right there. You know what I'm saying? And I realized I couldn't live off the milk concept anymore. Milk in its actuality is, means you're dependent upon a human for your source of uh, strength and, 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 and sustenance. But when we get to meat, it means we're self-feeding. We don't need mom anymore. We are self-feeding. We don't have to live off of someone else's uh, feeding of our lives anymore. Now, will we always have mentors? Yes. Will we always have people in our lives? Yes. Do we always have people that are going to encourage us on to the next things of God? Absolutely. But it can never, ever, 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 ever take the place of you self-feeding. Be a self-feeder. I remember when I went to a church planner's conference, you probably remember this, honey, with Wayne Cordero. He was incredible, incredible man of God that has started over, what was it, a thousand churches across the western United States and, and Hawaii. He has the largest network in Hawaii. They have over 700 churches in Hawaii alone. It's called New Hope Fellowship. Pastor Wayne Cordero, two Bible colleges that he started. The guy's doing amazing work. And he stood up in front of 3,000 church planners. He opened up his Bible, and he said, I'm going to give you the key to being successful in church planning and leading a church. Are you ready? And so I'm, I'm waiting for something mind-blowing. Do you remember this, honey? Can you come here and act it out for me? Do you remember what it is? It's because I don't have two hands to do this. So he stood up in front of all of us. He grabbed his Bible, and he did this. He literally took his hand, remember this? He took his hand on the Bible and went. Walked over and sat down.
Your ability to lead is only found in your ability to feed. That's it. Your ability to sustain revival only comes when the word of God is your foundation. Your ability to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit only comes when the word of God is empowering you in every situation. Because if not, then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit only becomes for us rather than in us to give away. It's the overflow. It's a change in dependence from milk to meat, a change of dependence. Stage three, this is a big one. This, me this messed me up. Are you ready for this one? I went through a season where I was, and I want to explain this, I went from a season where I was dealing with sins of commission and God led me to sins of omission. Sins of commission to sins of omission. So sins of commission, most of us know what they are. It's sins we commit. It's things we do, right? It's the things that we do wrong. It's jealousy, it's pride, it's envy, it's sexual sin, it's all these different things. It's stuff we do. But sins of omission are things we neglect to do. And what God was doing in my life when he was literally stirring revival in my heart is I started being convicted by all these things I was neglecting. I had never thought about it before that moment. And then the moment God started stirring up in my life, I started realizing, I'm not sharing the gospel. <sighs> what? Oh, Lord. Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not prioritizing you know, prayer like I should. And sometimes it starts to literally change. And most of us get caught in the camp of dealing with the sins we commit. And I want to say to you this morning, that's important that we deal with that stuff. Please keep dealing with that stuff. Because if you don't deal with that, that leads your heart to become hard and fallow again. Okay? But there's this process in the process of God in revival where it's not just about the sins you do because most of us that are having revival already know it's wrong. Right? We don't have to be told something's wrong when we're in revival. We feel convicted usually right away. Okay? But what do we neglect? What are we neglecting? Maybe it's ingratitude. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's neglecting your own family. I don't know. I know for me it was the sharing of the gospel because I thought to myself, well, Lord, I'm not an evangelist. You know how we always come up with that great excuse, eh? But Lord, I'm not an evangelist. And then I've realized, I think he's heard that from people before. Because he always has a brilliant response. And it's never the response I want to hear. Matthew 28. Jesus, don't tell me that one right now. I just want to avoid Matthew 28. Lord, I know it's in the Bible, but it was the last chapter. So it's like probably like an afterthought, not that important. You know? It's the last chapter in that book. So you probably were more concerned about chapters, you know, 1 to 27. You know, you're just not really focused on 28. Uh, but, of course, that's not how it goes. Why is this important? Because what God does in revival is he wants to train your heart to obey. And sins of omission reveal your heart of obedience versus disobedience quicker than anything else. Because you know right away, you kind of pull back. How many know what I'm saying? We've all done it, so let's just be real this morning. We've all done it. Where you feel prompted to go and talk to somebody, and then you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Just go. I don't know what to say. I'll give you the words when you get there. 
don't tell me that right now. And then you are praying that Sandra comes along ahead of you and tells them anyway. <laughs> Lord, just bring my wife, because she's so much better at this than I am. And you know what happens? Usually what I ha had happened to me in 97 is I missed a lot of opportunities. And then I got a hold of this. This didn't happen right away. This was months later. But man, did I ever get a hold of this. Here's why he wants us to train us with what we would potentially omit. Because in order to trust and hear the voice of God, you have to trust it for a moment in a season. You have to trust the clarity of the voice of God. And when you tune into those things that you neglect, it means you're training your ear to hear the voice of God. So then what becomes the power gospel issues, the laying on the sick, healing, you know, laying your hands on the sick for healing or preaching the gospel or doing all these other things becomes secondary to you because you've already trained yourself to be sensitive to what you're missing. Are we tracking here? All right. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm going to take you to step four. This one hurt me. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is the one that got me. This is the one that I wish Jesus left me alone for a couple days after. You know what I'm saying? You know how God comes and convicts you and then, and then you want to be left alone. You know, it's just like, look, no, I know. Yeah, I know what it's all about, Jesus. Just leave me alone. Yeah, I know you told me two days ago. I know what you're going to say. Don't tell me again. <laughs> Some of us are like, that doesn't happen to me. Embrace <laughs> mm, yourself for the lightning bolt of heaven now. Thank you, Jesus. Stage four. I had to go from an advisor to an advocate. I came across a funny quote this week. I thought it was hilarious. It said this, many folks want to serve God, but only as advisors. <laughs> when you're in revival, I have news for you. God's not really interested in your advice. He's just not. <laughs> but he wants you to be an advocate for what he's doing. And you cannot be an advocate for what the Spirit of God is doing is if you want to keep, keep giving him advice. But Lord, have you ever thought of that? I'm sure he has. <laughs> well, God, if you just did it this way, it would be so much better. We'd have so much more influence. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Well, you know, Pastor Cameron, you need to be careful how long worship times go because people could be a little distracted. Yeah, I'm sure that's cool, and uh, we'll work on that in 10 years. All right. All right, First John 2, chapter 1 to 6. Are you ready for this one? My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He's an advocate, the one who is truly righteous. How do we know that this is the will of the Father? Because this is exactly what Jesus the Son is doing right now on behalf of you next to the Father. He is advocating for you. He's not giving the Father advice on how to deal with you. He's advocating, mediating, interceding for you. And where most churches get stuck is because we want to be the advice column instead of the advocate for what God is doing. 
Verse 6, it says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay, Lord, so we'll be an advocate. I love this. It didn't stop with the Son, though. It went to the Holy Spirit, too, John 14. And it says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's amazing how it's getting the whole sin and obedience and all that stuff in there. It's awesome. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Oh, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. An advisor is one who speaks on behalf of themselves. An advocate is one who speaks on behalf of another. Big adjustment. Amen? You know what this is talking about? Surrender. You have to surrender your own will, your own ways, your own plan, your own ideas. Lord, this is how I think you're going to do this. When you're in revival, God throws plans out the door. Can I just be honest with you here? I've been through so many moves of the Spirit, and the moment the move of the Spirit happens, the plans go out the door. They don't exist to God. They don't exist to anybody. Why? Because he's more interested in the presence of God coming and touching and transforming than he is about form and fashion. Right? We, are we good? And this is what God had to do with me. Cameron, are you willing to surrender your rights? Are you willing to surrender your plan, your right, your way, your this, your that? And i got to be honest with you, when it first came, I struggled with this one. This was the one I struggled with the most. Because when I grew up, I had a slight weakness in my personality. Um, just a small one. Um, that I was, um, some people would say opinionated. I still think I wasn't. But hey, you know, you know how that goes. That's just my opinion, exactly. That's just my opinion. But hey, you know. But I was opinionated. And I thought that I had the solution to everyone's problem. And so one moment I realized I got no solutions for no one's problem, especially mine. So Lord, if I'm going to get on this revival track, if I'm going to understand the ebbs and flows of the Spirit of God, then I have got to trust that I've got to take this step from being an advisor to what I think you should do to be an advocate for what you are doing. Big change. Big adjustment. And it leads me to my fifth thought. I moved from a focus on the call of God to the commission of God. I want to be honest with you this morning. and I'll read Matthew 28 just because I brought it up, and it's good. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you are focused on your call, you live searching. When you're focused on the commission, you live sent. How do I know? Up to January of 1997, I was on this constant goal and striving and, and trying to figure out my purpose, my call, my God, what are you calling me to? And you know what drastically happened in that calendar year in 1997 that absolutely transformed my life? Is that the call of God became irrelevant. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. We believe that you should find your purpose. I think it's important. We're going to help you do that. We believe in it. But I want you to understand that there's good and then there's great. So we're going from good to great here, okay? So people who are focused on their call never seem satisfied because they never feel like they've arrived. They're never satisfied. There's always that more thing, and there's always this more thing, and there's always, well, well, I don't have clarity on this thing. And you know what happened in that year? I didn't care anymore. 
But you know what I did care about? I cared about the commission. The commission that was already given to me. That I already had permission to do the work of Jesus. That I could already go today, not wait for next year or 10 years from now when I have a title on my head. That I could actually go and do what God's called me to do today because he's already commissioned me to do it. So I chose in that year to live sent. God already sent me. I don't have to look to be sent. I've already been sent, so I'm going to do it. And it absolutely took away from my constant focus on my purpose. And it actually became something that I've never been focused on since that time. I don't think about my purpose. I just think about, God, what am I going to do for you today? And I believe that my purpose is going to play out in my heart, in relationship with Jesus, in relationship with his kids. I don't have to figure it out. It'll just be obvious. It'll be obvious. Anyone tracking with me? After the Holy Spirit revival, January of 97, I lived on mission. Every opportunity was an opportunity to extend the mission. That's how I lived. You know, for some of you, you may have heard our story, but in 2000, when Sandra and I first started connecting and dating, we had an open door in the psychiatric ward of Oshawa General Hospital, which was mind-blowing. It got to a point about four or five or six weeks into this experience that as soon as we came in, the nurses would come running up to us and say, oh, there's three people that want to meet with you today. I'll give you the room numbers, and you just go take as long as you want. And we would go in, and we would minister to these people in the psychiatric ward of Oshawa General Hospital. Now, I didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, Lord, if you shall call me to the care of pastoral ministry and to Oshawa General Hospital as a chaplain, Lord, then I'll do it. I wasn't a chaplain. I was a believer in Christ who just so happened to have a connection with somebody that was in there. And that started as a connection with one person that was in there led to how many? What we were at by the end of that? 50? 60? 50, 60 people. Sandra would sit in the main common room and there was an old piano and she'd start playing the piano. And we would have people gather around. And I'm just sitting there going, you know how you, you see something happening but you don't really believe what you're seeing with your eyes? You're like, cool, this is cool. But I, I've never seen this before. I've never done that before. Lord, what are you doing? He says, you're available. Is that it? You mean you're not looking for some smart guy? Nope. Just available. I can do that. And I started to realize it wasn't about striving for something I have never attained to. It wasn't trying to strive for a position, a title, a, a this or that. It was about doing what God's already told me to do. And I went from a call Focus to commission-based focus. That's how I lived. And it transformed my life. I realized in that moment I didn't have to be a full-time minister to minister. I didn't. You have, I, I have news for you this morning. You are all called to full-time ministry. It's not reserved for the special chosen people. It's for the church to extend the kingdom in every sphere of their life. To literally be Christ everywhere you go. To pray for the sick. To share the gospel. And one day I'm going to see it. We're going to raise the dead. That's all i got to say. That would be a highlight. <laughs> but it starts with one simple thought. Break up your fallow ground. Break up your heart and your mind of anything that would hinder you from the next move of the Spirit in your life. Some of you may be sitting here going, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. God can show you. 
He may show you this morning. He may show you tonight. He may show you this week. It's all good. We're in relationship with God, so he can show us any time. He's not limited by Sunday morning. Sunday morning is just a family reunion where we get to hang out and cheerlead each other on, so then we actually go and actually do church. This isn't church. This is the family reunion. Church is out there. Church is in your workplace. And for some of us, church is in Starbucks. Come on now. Come on. I felt it. Oh, yeah, right there. <laughs> oh. Let's not waste the seeds that we're planted. Let's not waste the rain that's coming. Let's not allow the rain of God's presence just to hit us and roll off. Let's make a decision right now to break up our fallow ground and to say, God, I'm yours. No more I, uh, maybes. No more I'll think about it. No more I'll get back to you. No more IOUs. It's today. It's right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.